For about as long as I can remember, I've always loved Bob Ross. Maybe it was just growing up in the 90s and watching a ton of PBS. Perhaps it's because I love nature and, well, he painted nature. It could just be that he was probably one of the most genuine people ever. Also, I'm pretty sure he invented ASMR. That seems right, doesn't it? <laughs> At any case, to this day, I'll still watch the joy of painting any chance I get. Thanks to YouTube and Netflix, that's pretty often. Now, of course, no one needs any real pretext to watch Bob Ross. His show and his work have plenty of value in and of itself. But I do think that as podcasters, we could stand to learn a thing or two from him. Hey, Stuart here. Now, as a creator, you can probably relate to the idea that it's hard to just passively watch, listen, or read anything. For me, that's even true in the case of Bob Ross. Granted, he never once made a podcast, and he's been dead for nearly 30 years. But sometimes, artists can transcend a medium. Bob Ross was a painter, yes, but he became a TV star whose cultural impact is felt to this very day. As artists, and making a podcast is a form of art, we sometimes need to look outside of our medium for inspiration. So for that, we'll turn to Bob Ross. That's next. Welcome back to Audience, a Castos original experience. Broadcasting from the center of your audio universe, where creative podcasters find their home at castos.com. Press play right here in your podcast player every week. It's like a cheat sheet for marketing, monetizing, growing, and creating your podcast. So good, you'll want to share castos.com slash audience with your closest friends. Okay, audience starts now. So I'm Doug Blandy. I'm a professor emeritus at the University of Oregon. I've been at the university for over three years. Prior to that, I taught at Bowling Green State University. And I uh, attribute my time at Bowling Green State University for helping sophisticate my interest in popular culture, which ultimately led to the work that I've done around Bob Ross. If you watch the Netflix documentary, Happy Little Accidents, then you saw Doug. That's because along with Kristen Cogden and Danny Koyman, he's the author of the book, Happy Clouds, Happy Trees, The Bob Ross Phenomenon. So, as you probably guessed, he knows quite a bit about Bob Ross. So what first drew me to Bob Ross is, is that my primary field of interest is arts education. Typically, arts education is thought of as it occurs in K through 12 schools. My own interest is looking at arts education as it occurs outside of schools. And early on in this interest, I discovered uh, that Bob Ross was attributed by Michael Kemmelman, an art critic for the New York Times, as being the, the maybe the best known artist in the world. Uh, I believe in, through the research, he may be the best known arts educator in the world. And so I was joined with my two colleagues, Kristen Congdon and Danny Coyman, in researching more about Bob Ross, how Bob Ross uh, created, uh, along with others, his, his television show and the impact that that's had on the lives of others. In his book, Doug and his co-authors compare Bob Ross with other artists like Bob Dylan, Andy Warhol, and several other creative geniuses. They go on to explain that during his time, while he might not have been as popular with art critics or scholars, he became a cultural icon thanks largely to his embrace of amateurism, 
sentimentality, and what they call democratic practices in the art world. His ability to network and share knowledge with others catapulted a mild-mannered painter into a media juggernaut. But I think there's another reason Bob Ross became a cultural icon. It's not because everyone who watched him painted along, or was even particularly taken by his work. I mean, I've watched hundreds of Bob Ross videos and I've never tried to replicate a painting or ever bought one. At least to me anyway, it was all in his presentation. I think a lot of people would still watch Bob Ross if he were doing a cooking show or something about pottery. The main thing that mattered was his presentation. It's a superpower of sorts that not many people have, but when they do have it, their work transcends mediums and boundaries. I also think it's a skill that the best podcasters have. So, in talking with Doug, I came up with five lessons that podcasters can learn from Bob Ross. Lesson number one, creating a workflow. Let's start with some pretty basic nuts and bolts, because I think it'd be easy to go on an esoteric tangent of sorts. One of the things that always blows my mind when watching The Joy of Painting was how Bob Ross could just spontaneously create a scene in 28 minutes or less. I mean, how did he do that? How did he just turn a scene that lived in his mind into something on a canvas that we all enjoy? Well, he didn't, exactly. Prior to any broadcast, Bob would decide, you know, what painting he was going to do, and he would do that painting prior to broadcast. Then he would do it again during the broadcast. And then I believe, if I remember correctly, even after the broadcast, he might do a third version of that painting. In some ways, what looks like the unfolding of the creative process, which may be perceived as the first time he's engaging with that particular image, in actuality, he had thought through both the image that was going to be created for a particular broadcast, as well as how he would discuss that image in, in process. I should point out that his ability to do this was a byproduct of being really, really good at his craft and owning an in-depth knowledge of the techniques. In this case, he mastered a method called a la prima, or wet-on-wet -wet oil painting. Artists who employ other techniques have to paint small sections of their work, let the paint dry, and then continue later. With his wet-on-wet -wet technique, Bob Ross could let a painting progress without it drying, which allowed him to create really complex-looking artwork in just a matter of minutes. In their own way, the best podcasters do the same thing. Let's take WTF with Mark Maron. If you haven't heard it, Marin's a stand-up comedian who interviews other comedians, actors, artists, really anyone who has a story in his garage. When you listen to it, it probably feels entirely off the cuff, like two people just having a casual, meandering conversation. But I'd be willing to bet just about anything that Marin and his producer Brendan McDonald put in the work for those interviews long before he hits record. That could be research, watching films, or even pulling from an already existing rapport he's built with a guest. That's work too, you know. Jeez, even to keep building on this example, I'd even say his decades of experience as a performer allow him to pivot during conversations that may take an unexpected turn. After all, if you could master stand-up comedy, having a celebrity in your garage for an intimate conversation is going to feel a bit less intimidating. The end result is a genuine conversation that feels spontaneous to the listener, though it's not entirely spontaneous. So assuming there's a baseline expertise or knowledge on the subject of your podcast, having a solid workflow will allow you to share the knowledge with your audience. A bad example of workflow would be something like this. You want to put out episodes every Thursday, 
but you have no backlog of recorded interviews or voiceovers, field recordings, or whatever, depending on your format. So you're trying to make episodes in just a few days. Don't do that. Your podcast probably won't be all that good. In the same vein that Bob Ross would create paintings before he ever stepped in front of the camera, he'd also knock out several paintings in a few sessions. He didn't just show up to the studio the day before the show aired. They tape an entire season in just a few filming sessions, well before the season went live. This gave everyone on the production side time to edit and package the episodes. Then Bob would go off, teach his classes, spend time in nature, and plan his next paintings. As a podcaster, you more often than not should probably have the material you need for an episode long before you plan to publish it. So if you're making a podcast about hiking the Appalachian Trail and your episodes include interviews and field recordings with fellow hikers, I'd recommend spending a few weeks researching the guests, scheduling and recording interviews, doing those field recordings, and then working with your editors, ideally Castos, to make your episodes. Then once you have several episodes made, you can start publishing every Thursday or every other Thursday or the last Friday of each month. That part's not quite as important as the actual workflow. If you do that, you'll give yourself breathing room to either A, record more audio, B, study the craft some more, C, take time off your podcast, or D, all of the above. Personally, I'd recommend all of the above. There's nothing wrong with a seasonal approach, and your future self will thank you and me for helping you prevent burnout. So, you're welcome. Now, obviously, your workflow and production process will vary depending on your format, the producers you're working with, the resources you have, and what works best for you. But whatever you do, try not to wink it. Bob Ross mastered his workflow and made over 30,000 paintings in his life. You might not make 30,000 episodes, but you can be more efficient by nailing down a process. Lesson number two. Leveraging a medium. I mean, think about it, how revolutionary it was at the time to possibly, as, as a young person, possibly having seen the Joy of Painting broadcast, but probably as impactful, possibly more, was his then appearance on MTV with the MTV, painting the MTV logo, or then going on a, a talk show like the Phil Donahue talk show and talking about uh, what, what he does. Now, I will point out that Bob Ross got the idea of doing a TV series from his mentor, Bill Alexander, also a practitioner of the a la prima technique. Alexander had a show called The Magic of Oil Painting that ran for about 10 years between 1972 and 82. But if you ever watch it, it just doesn't quite have that same magic that the joy of painting does. In my opinion, Alexander was way too energetic and seemed more suited to host infomercials or a game show. Bob built off of what his mentor did, improved it, and the joy of painting was born. It ran from 1983 until 94. The show was produced by various PBS affiliates and never technically made a dime. But since the show was nationally syndicated, it allowed Bob to build a brand of art supplies and classes that turned into a pretty profitable business. About $15 million, from what I've heard. Now, the obvious parallel here is what a lot of podcasters already do. They offer their show for free on all the major platforms in hopes that listeners will sign up for their life coaching class, subscribe to their newsletter, join their Patreon, or order some kind of trinket from their website. That part's not that complicated. But I want to take this a step deeper because what Bob Ross did with The Joy of Painting is what many of the best podcasters do with their own shows. 
let's take one that I and a lot of other people love, cereal. Now, if you're not familiar with cereal, Google it. It's spelled S-E-R-I-A-L, not like the breakfast food, and come back in about five to 10 seconds. We'll wait on you. Okay, welcome back. Now, if anyone's show can be credited with taking podcasts into the mainstream, it's probably Serial. What's so amazing about this podcast? Well, okay, there's a lot of things amazing about this podcast. Is that this story didn't need to be a podcast. Codenick could have just as easily written about this. I mean, she's an accomplished writer and journalist, after all. But would a book or an exclusive in the New York Times have the same cultural impact that Serial did? And that same vein. Would Bob Ross doing a bunch of live expos or maybe some kind of like big fancy talk show have been as intimate as the joy of painting? I don't think so. What I find remarkable about Bob Ross is his commitment to reaching as many people as possible in a genuine and compelling way. And in order to do that, he and his partners had the foresight to think of other kinds of media platforms through which to do that. I have no doubt that uh, if he were alive today, we might see a Bob Ross podcast of some sort. Lesson number three, nailing down a format. It was less about the painting itself and more about the process and engaging personally with Bob Ross as he was making a painting. Bob Ross seemed to understand what a show was, but he also understood what it wasn't. I could see where a visual artist like Bob Ross could get pretty wild with their ideas for a TV show. And for some people, that would totally work. But for Bob Ross, I can't imagine him doing anything other than standing in a room in front of an easel, chatting away while he painted happy clouds and trees and grassy meadows and brooks and... Oh, sorry, was getting lost in a Bob Ross painting. Anyway, like Doug said, the show was less about technique and technical skills, though there was plenty of that, and more about inspiring the artists within all of us. So his format worked well for that. Podcasters have a similar decision to make. Sarah Kodig made a conscious choice to present Serial as a multi-episode narrative. She won a Peabody Award. Mark Merritt knows that an intimate interview with one guest in his garage works for him and his audience. It's hard for me to imagine Marin taking a more quote-unquote sophisticated approach for a podcast and doing something like a TED radio hour, but for comedy. I mean, that's actually a cool idea, and I don't know if it already exists or not. But is it Mark Marin? Think about you and your podcast. If you haven't started one yet, think about the skill set you have, who your potential audience is, and come up with a format that works well for that. I mean, there's basically only two formats, people chatting and narratives, and some subcategories within them. I'd recommend reading Make Noise by Eric Newsom to really break them down. But in the same way successful people like Mark Maron, Sarah Koenig, and Bob Ross on TV figured out their format, think about your podcast and a format that will work best for it. Most of all, during that process, be true to yourself. Think about your skill sets and how they translate into making podcasts. Which brings us to our fourth lesson, being genuine. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone more genuine than Bob Ross. Well, I mean, that was the other thing that we learned in doing the research for the book, is that the persona that you see on television is the persona. 
That's not an act. That's, that's who he was. There's something to be said for being genuinely nice and just being yourself. Bob Ross never tried to be anything he wasn't. He didn't see himself as some kind of creative genius that his audience would idolize. He saw himself as their peer who could guide them along in their creative journeys, or maybe just a friend who got to visit with people in their homes. He didn't try to appease a lot of the art critics and elites who maybe weren't quite so excited about what he was doing. He didn't care about that. He understood who he was and he understood who his audience was. He didn't have to live up to anyone's expectations. Just by being himself, he garnered a huge following. Think about that when you make your podcast. You don't necessarily have to be the best podcaster in the world that wins awards and all that type of thing. You just need to find a way to share your knowledge and your passions with your audience. Which kind of perfectly tees up our fifth lesson, sharing knowledge. Now, one of the other things that also is interesting in terms of the research that we did that we discovered is that when we talked to people who took the Bob Ross classes, some would continue to use that technique in and of itself. But we also talked to people who said, oh yes, I took a Bob Ross class, then I took a class from somebody else and somebody else, and so I'm synthesizing these various techniques that I've learned to make this my own. When you get down to it, isn't that the point of just about every podcast? Whether you're interviewing an expert about transcendental meditation, weaving together a complex multi-episode narrative about the Zodiac Killer, or casually chatting with a group of friends about your favorite role-playing game. You're sharing knowledge with an audience. That's it. Oh, and by the way, as a little sidebar, Doug Blandy shared his own thoughts about this too. It was interesting for me to think about, okay, well, what are the relationships between what Bob Ross was doing during the height of his career and podcasters? What, what could they learn from him? And in thinking over that, I, I thought, you know, probably being genuine, being true to who you are in uh, what you're broadcasting, thinking about what it is that you want people to perceive about you and how best to communicate that, how to establish credibility with your listeners, and also what points do you want to make that you hope that your listeners will consider and share with others. A big thanks to Doug Blandy for helping out with this conversation. If you're interested in reading Doug's book, it's called Happy Clouds, Happy Trees, The Bob Ross Phenomenon. There's a link in the show notes along with more information about Castos. Hey there, listener, it's Matt. Before you go, I want to offer you, the aspiring podcaster, two special items. Number one, if you haven't started a podcast yet or you want to find a better podcast hosting company, start here at Castos. Use our coupon code audience20, that's audience20, when you sign up for a new account at castos.com. Start a podcast like the one you just heard or about gluten-free muffins, whatever it is, will help you get your podcast out into the world. Number two, did you know that our academy is free? Enroll today for free at academy.castos.com. Get access to our courses, videos, and templates all for free. Thanks for listening to the audience podcast today. We hope we're helping you become a better podcaster. All that's left for you to do is share this episode on social media. Bye for now. Hey, Stuart here. If you've made it this far into the episode, you probably want to learn more about making podcasts. Well, you're in luck. 
because another series we produce here at Castos is called Three Clips. Hosted by Evo Terra, we aim to demystify the art of making podcasts by chatting with some of the best podcasters in the biz. Each week, we'll be breaking apart the mechanics of making an episode by analyzing three clips from each show we feature. Hence the title, Three Clips. Three Clips is available at threeclipspodcast.com or your podcast app of choice.